Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Okay, let's uh, dive in. Thank you all for showing up here. Actually, I didn't think it was too bad this morning, but uh, some people thought it was awful. I thought it was kind of pretty. Two or three things we need to talk about. And uh, first is, in your bulletins, all of you have one of these little things here. And what we're asking you to do, you've got some stuff in the mail and, and you'll keep getting this is we're asking for everybody to participate in giving blood and recruiting others to give blood. We need to see if we can register about 200 and... Well, we, in order to get 250 blood units, we have to have the... Uh, the people said we had to register about 300 people. In order to do that, why, uh, it's going to take an effort. So, and, if, and the people you intend to ask... Just, just write their names down and, and put it in the little bucket back there on the, if they left them on the table. People keep moving stuff around. But anyway, because we, we want you to start now in getting people registered for that. Now, there's a good reason for that. Because of the problems last year in the church, they, our finances are not what they once were. And so we're doing things that are important that don't cost a lot of money. It doesn't cost anything to get people to give blood. And yet it's a really important thing. We've had people here at church need blood this year. Doug and Susie Booth are down in Florida taking life easy, but uh, Doug had the, at, at, on, it was on Christmas Eve, and he just was as gray as a ghost and had to have a transfusion. And, and um, he's doing better now. His blood count, I think she said, was up over 11, so she's getting, getting close. And I think they wanted it 12-something, so... Uh, so we want you to help us get that, get that done. So it, we need to register as many people as possible, and you can see how to do that on, in your bulletin. And uh, uh, it's an important thing for us at, at, to do. Second thing is for those of you who may have looked um, on the Internet where we send out a blurb every week and talk about what we're going to be talking about today or on, on the weekend, I promised that I would give you three or give you the re, the way that uh, the people who put together in about the third century what we call today the New Testament canon. The word canon uh, is is named after a measuring stick. Um, what they used to measure in the New Testament era there uh, was uh, they had their own yardsticks and they made them out of the reeds that grew along the ponds or the, the lakes. And they would cut those things. And, and because it's hollow on the inside, it was called a cannon. And, uh, and so the, that, that was what they talk, whenever they talk about measurements, they refer to the, the cannon. So uh, what were the things that the books that are included in the New Testament, what did they have to do to measure up or to be included in the cannon? There are three things, and I, I just want to show those to you this morning so that I can keep my promise. The first one is this. The book had, or and they, it wasn't really a book, it was a scroll, had to be written by an apostle or a close associate of an apostle, uh, i.e. Luke. Luke was not an apostle. He was, however, a very close associate to the apostle Paul. He was actually the apostle Paul's uh, personal physician. He was a doctor by trade, and um, and so he wrote uh, both the uh, Luke one and two, uh, uh, Luke the Gospel of Luke, and then he wrote the Book of Acts. What so that's uh, his work. Second one was what was written had to be recognized by the early church as being legitimate. Now, why would that be an issue? You would think, well, hey, it's got John's name on it, or it's got Luke's name on it, or Paul's name on it. It's because there were lots of scrolls written for the purpose of sale and distribution, 
at that time that were, uh, it, let's say, I had wrote a scroll and I wanted it to be accepted and to be distributed and I could make some money off of it and so on. And so rather than putting Scott at the bottom of it, I would put uh, uh, Peter. And so there were lots of scrolls that were written by someone other than Peter that had his name on them. And there, and there were lots of them just so they would be accepted. And so they had to go back and find out which ones were legitimate? And they, and they did that by when the early church accepted them from Peter. They could say, hey, did you write this? Or they could say to John, did you write this? And, and they, would, they knew that it was authoritative and legitimate. And it was a, a difficult uh, thing that they went through. The third one is the teaching in it. Doctrine means teaching. The teachings in it had to be consistent. What John said had to be uh, the same as what Peter said. What Peter said, and and see that, and that got to be an issue in the early church. The first church council that ever existed was over a doctrinal problem that needed to be settled, and the doctrinal problem really boiled down between Paul and Peter. When Peter, uh, even though he knew better, was persuaded by. Uh, some influential people to say that in order to be a Christian, you probably ought to be circumcised or become a Jew before you could become a Christian. And the Apostle Paul said, you know, I confronted that sucker, and, and he backed off and said, no, you're saved by faith. The Old Testament laws no longer are applicable. And so that was a big issue that had to be settled in the early church. And so the doctrine that Paul wrote, that Peter wrote, that John wrote, all had to be consistent, and, uh, and that was an issue of whether it would be accepted as legitimate. But those, th this is the lens through which the books in your New Testament were accepted and then ultimately formed into a book. Now, uh, and that didn't come until much later. So let's look at, get your, get your uh, little sermon outline there on the back of your bulletin, and let's look at it. Because what we're talking about today is the B-I-B-L-E and, and why we can de de depend upon it as being legitimate and the absolute constitution and bylaws uh, for the kingdom of God. And uh, once we understand that and, uh, and realize, my mother used to say to us three boys, you know, there's no creed but Christ. There's no book but the Bible. She would repeat that so many times because many churches use creeds. And that goes clear back to the time when people couldn't read and write. And so they could memorize. The word credo means I believe. So they could memorize what they believed and participate in the church service even though they couldn't read and write. And, uh, uh, but the day has long since passed when that's, uh, that's a big issue. Now let's look at it. Uh, from this standpoint, how do you and I know about God and what He expects of us? How do we know that? The only way that we can know about God is if He reveals Himself to us. By nature, we don't know. We can, we can see in creation things that we can, uh, goes back to the Creator. But, and so we call that revelation. He reveals Himself to us, and He not only reveals Himself to us, He reveals to us what He expects of us if we're going to be His children. Now, any good parent would do that. And so what God has done is, is He has taken the language that you and I know and the illustrations that you and I know, and has revealed himself within the context of that language and the things that we know. And the one thing that all of us know, because all of us are a part of it, is we know about families. We know about daddies. We know about mommies. We know about cousins. We know about, we even know about in-laws that my mother used to refer to as outlaws. But anyhow, so uh, and when we look at it, there, so the Word of God that we have, we call it the B-I-B-L-E. It's the Bible. And so that's where we start. So in that Bible, how has God revealed himself to us? First of all, he reveals himself to us as a father. 
because all of us have one of those things. And, and so uh, he speaks, and, 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 the, and, the, and the Father, in biblical times, and should be now, but it's not, the Father was the final authority in the family. When Papa spoke, he, he, even in the Roman world, the Father had life and death authority. He could actually kill his children. I thought about it several times myself, but I never did do it because people kind of frown on it. But anyhow, he actually legitimately had that authority in the New Testament era. And so God reveals himself as, as that authoritative figure where when he speaks, you better listen. Because God spoke into creation. That's called from fiat, F-I-A-T. He spoke into he spoke, and everything that is came to pass. Creation came about as God spoke. His words created, brought about creation. And if you want to read about that, you would go over into the book uh, of the Psalms. The 33rd Psalm actually talks about that. As the psalmist says, and starting at, uh, at verse 6, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made. They're starry hosts by the breath of his mouth. And you keep that breath of his mouth in, 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 uh, uh, in your mind because in the, when we come to the Holy Spirit, the breath of God and the Holy Spirit is essentially one and the same. And you'll see why as we go further along. He, he says he gathers the waters of the sea into jars. I question that, but anyway, that's what he said. That word jars, I question that translation. And he, and he puts in, uh, the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. So what we have here is, is God who has the capacity to speak into existence all that is. Now one of the things you have to keep in mind here is when God has revealed to us who he is... You have to understand something. He didn't tell us everything about it. And you ever wonder why? Because actually the Bible tells you. There's more to God than we have the capacity to understand. And, and so why would he waste his time explaining to us something that we could not comprehend? And so God carefully uses terminology and illustrations to help us understand who he is. He is, uh, he, he is all-powerful in that he has the capacity to speak and things happen. And you could go through the whole Bible and see that when God's word is spoken, things happen. Keep that in mind because that's where we're going to end up directly with something that's really, I think, wonderfully important. So God is a, is a father. And, and so I never did finish up telling you why he didn't tell us everything about himself. The reason, of course, was that we couldn't understand it. But I told you this. The Bible actually tells us this. That God, he, he is so far above us that our capacity to understand him completely is not there. We just can't do it. And so he only tells us those things, and some of those are difficult for us to comprehend. Now let's go on to the second one. God then reveals himself in the flesh as a son. When, and, and here we go to the, uh, the opening verse of the, of, uh, of the Gospel of John, when John talks about how Jesus, before he put on flesh, always existed. When you read carefully about the creation in the book of Genesis, he, he always refers to himself in, in plural because of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that were always there. And, and, and do we understand the Trinity? Not really. Do I have the capacity to understand or to explain it to you? Now, I've used illustrations at times, you know, like in weather like this. There are things that exist in a Trinity in our culture, in our world. You've got steam, you've got water, and you've got ice. All the same stuff, but it's in a different form. 
and that's just one of the crude illustrations that I've used in the past trying to convince people of, of the nature of the Trinity, which really is beyond our understanding. God's ways are not our ways, the Bible says, and they're beyond our understanding. So, we under, so he says, I'm going re, to reveal myself in a way that you will understand. I'm going to put on flesh and dwell among you. Here's the way he said it. In the beginning was the Word. Now remember, God's Word is everything here that we're talking about. When the God speaks, things happen. In the beginning was the Word. Now here you can substitute Jesus if you want to, and you'll not be doing uh, injustice to the Scripture. And the Word was God, and the word, uh, word, the, and the word was with God, and the Word was God. So Jesus is God. He was with God in the beginning. So he's been there all the time. He was preexistent. He was not a creature. He was not created. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him, now get this, in him was life. In the Bible, in the Bible, you're only viewed by God as being alive if you're a Christian. I know that sounds... A little strange, but trust me, that's the way it is. Not only do you have life when you become a Christian, you have life without end. It's called eternal life. And, and the Bible actually, and we could take time to get into that, but i got to move on because the, the gong will go off directly. And, and, and uh, the, the Bible clearly teaches that you can be alive and yet dead spiritually. And the Spirit is the only thing that has life without end because the flesh will go back to the ground from which it came. So the spiritual end of it is the more important. Now, so he said, and this life was the light of men. Now, this brings up a subject that, that uh, we have to discuss here. And that's why did, were you created to start with? Why do you exist? If you're a Christian, why do you exist? I bet you that most of us would say, <coughs> excuse me, in order to get to heaven. If you put that down, that really sounds good, but it's wrong. You weren't saved just to get you to heaven. You were saved to do what Israel was supposed to do and never did. Isaiah said that Israel's purpose for existing was to be a light to the nations. You were to show the Gentiles who God is by different things. And we'll talk about that more as we go. If you are saved and you're going to go to heaven, the primary reason you were saved was to finish what Israel failed at doing. You and I, our reason for existing is to show the world who Jesus is. That's our primary reason for existing. Now, the byproduct of that is to get to heaven. And so when we go to funerals, that's all we talk about. But in life, as we live it, when we're healthy and strong, if you, can, if you could scrounge out of the bed and get here this morning, you're healthy enough and strong enough, if you're a Christian, to be able to live and, and, and carry out the will of God in your life. And you really don't have an excuse for not doing that if you know what your reason is. And your reason for existing is to show the rest of the world who Jesus is. That's our primary. That's your, you are become the light to unbelievers. Now, let's keep on going. So, he talks about... Uh, Jesus then putting on flesh, coming alive, and giving life. He was the source of life, and he's the source of our life today. If Jesus doesn't live in you, isn't being recreated in you, and we'll talk a little more about that in a second, then you're not really alive. You're just dead and don't know it. Now, let's go on to the next one. God is a father. God is a son. Now we get to the one that's a little fuzzier. God is a Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit, uh, the disciples, when Jesus announced to the, his disciples that he was going to die, they made a big fuss. This is in the 13th chapter of John. And Peter, being the windbag that he was, spoke up and said, Hey, we don't want you to die because when you're with us, we're comforted by your presence. They'd seen him calm the waters. They'd seen what all he could do. And they said, You know, we like to hang out with you because we're safe that way because they were afraid of the Roman government. And so... Uh, 
Jesus said to him, now look, Pete, here's the problem. I put on flesh and dwelt among you, lived among you. As a result of me wearing flesh, I am limited in time and space. I can't be everywhere at once. And so if I go away, I will send another comforter, he says, who is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not limited by time and space. He can be, while I'm talking, he can be in Uganda, he can be in India, he can be here, he can even be across the river and on the west side. And if he can do that, he can do anything. He can be anywhere because he's not limited by time and space. And so wherever the Word of God is spoken, the Holy Spirit can take that Word and accomplish God's will in the life of the people who are listening, if they so choose. Now, and so the Holy Spirit uh, is, the, the word for spirit is a word that you all know. Whether you know it or not, you do. Because all of you came here in a vehicle that had pneumatic tires. That means they got air in them. And the Greek word that was translated spirit is the word pneuma where we get the word pneumatic tire. It means the breath or the wind. It is air. And you're going to have an awful hard time living without breath. It doesn't work very well unless you're breathing. And you don't live very long eternally without the breath of God in you. Because when you're saved, your body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit. And if, and, if, and if you don't have, if you're not the temple of the Holy Spirit, you're not going to get to heaven when you die. And besides that, you're not going to be able to carry out God's will in your life. Oh, you may make an effort to be a good person, but you won't reflect the presence of God very effectively in your life unless you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, so, because our primary reason for existence, let me repeat that. Um, the Paul talks about this in the book of Philippians, in, in first chapter of Philippians. Philippians is really a, a, a neat book. But here in the first chapter, verses 20 and 21, this is what he says. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And then he goes ahead in verse 21 to say, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. He talks about Christ in him, him, and the, and, and the Holy Spirit creates the character qualities of Jesus in us, and then we're to reflect that to the rest of the world, to be consistent in the rest of the world. And, and show them who Jesus Because really what you and I are to do is we're to continue the work that Jesus started. That's really what we're here for. Christ did it. We're to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to develop the character qualities of Jesus so that we can t continue his work here on earth. And I, for one, would hate to take my last breath without knowing that I had really attempted to do just that very thing. I'm always, I'm not comfortable with deathbed uh, confessions, to be honest with you. I'm glad they do it. That's better than none. You better grab a, grab a line if they throw you one. But I'm not comfortable with deathbed conversions because there's no fruit there. And, and we'll be judged by the fruit or what we've produced in our life. It, Jesus said, it's by their fruit that you shall know them. So this may sound a little tough, but I can't help it because that's what the Scripture says. And my job is to make that clear so that when you face the judgment, uh, that you can't blame me. You've got to paddle your own canoe. Now let's go to the second one. Let's look at the qualities of God's Word and so we can understand it a little bit. We start off with number one being this. The Word of God is true. The Word of God is true. And, and John talks about this here again in the Gospel in the 17th chapter of John. 
starting at verse 17. Uh, he, t- he talks about that, and, and, uh, and you, there's two or three times when this is a big deal. Do you remember when Jesus was standing before Pilate, and, and, and Pilate asked Jesus a question? And the question was simply this, what is truth? Because Pilate couldn't understand. Somebody was saying Jesus is the Son of God, and another one was over here saying, release Barabbas because we want to kill him because he's a no-good stinking bum. He's a false prophet. He's guilty of blasphemy. Let's kill him. And, and, and Pilate was saying, oh, what, what is truth? Now, the only, only person that I can remember that has a high profile that was uh, even more important than Pilate was the guy who sang this song, and the lonely voice of youth cried, what is truth? That was Johnny Cash. And he was a great philosopher and a Bible student, I'm certain. But there's a little humor here, folks. Are you there? Just wondering. Mercy. And, and, and here in the 17th verse, what he says is this. Um, Sanctify them by the truth. This is Jesus talking. Sanctify means to set apart for a specific purpose. I've already told you what our purpose is. Sanctify them through the truth, and then he says, thy word is truth. And so, if you want the Holy Spirit to set you apart and help you accomplish reflecting to the world who Jesus is, you're going to have to start reading your Bible. Because the Holy Spirit takes the Bible and applies it to our life, and the Bible is truth. And that's the way you and I mature and are equipped to reflect Jesus in our life. And it won't come any other. I wonder how you're doing um, reading a chapter a day. Because a chapter a day will keep the preacher away. Because we're going to show up one of these days and ask you how in the heck you're doing. And, and, and it, it might not be too pleasant for you, you know, because we're tough hombres. More humor? Shish. Okay. But that's our responsibility, to, you know, not only to be accountable... Now, I, I'll be honest with you, I cheat. I've got 80-year-old eyeballs, and they get tired readings, and they get gummy and a whole bunch of stuff. That comes. And so I, I bought a, the Bible on CD, and so I'd, when I'm in the car, I'm listening. I'm clear through Mark. I finished Matthew. I'm in Mark. I'm finished Mark. But what I do that really helps me is I play it every day. I listen to it every day. And you'd be surprised from the 10 minutes that it takes for me to get in the car, to get up here, get out, and to get out of the car, how much scripture I can listen to on a CD. And, uh, and, and so it comes in handy. Now, that bunch of uh, hypocrites in the men's Bible study said that wasn't fair. But that's their problem. Now then, the words, but the word uh, is true. It's dependable. Secondly, the word is powerful powerful and and this is where we have kind of missed out a little bit i think um what god's word can accomplish let me explain it this way the preaching of the bible and the and the and the reading of the bible has actually changed the world illustrate it with just one illustration In 1456 and 57, there was a, a, a German who created movable type. Up until then, if you wanted a copy of something, you would have to, or to make copies of something, you went to a place called a scriptorium, where guy, and, and, and whatever you wanted copied, they would read, and the people that were employed there would make copies for you, and you'd pay them for it. And that was expensive. If you ever wanted to see a scriptorium, you would go. You could go to the Dead Sea Scrolls over in Qumran in Israel, and there's actually a, Qumran, uh, a scriptorium place there for for that. But in 1456, an old German by the name of Gutenberg invented movable type, which made it possible then to print a page or two or three or four at a time. And the first book that Gutenberg printed was 
the Bible. It's actually referred to as the Gutenberg Bible. And then he not only, and it was in German, of course, and, and so what they did was they made lots of copies then and started selling to the people in Germany. And the Germans looked at it and said, because you've got, you know, guys, actually uh, Luther uh, was German and, and uh, Calvin was French, and, but uh, they all were pretty good scholars. But the Bible then got in the hands of the people and they started reading the Bible and they said, what the Bible says here and what the church is doing are two different things. And we need to get the church back in line with the Word of God. And the Pope said, there ain't no way. I'm running this show. You guys stay out of it. So he put a hit out. He had put some guys, uh, a hit team out to kill Luther. And a German prince arrested Luther and put him in prison so that the Pope couldn't get to him and kill him. But, but the damage was done. The Word of God was in the hands of the people and they weren't turning back. And the result was the, the Reformation came into existence. And the world was changed. The, the United States started with people coming who had gone through the Reformation and they wanted to get away from the authority of, of, of the government who were controlled by the papacy so they could practice faith as it was revealed in the Bible. That's, where, that's who, who the people were that came over here to start with. They were looking for religious freedom to be able to practice what the Bible taught. And you and I have inherited that magnificent freedom, and we ought to be grateful for it every day. So, uh, the Word of God is powerful. And, and when you read about it here in the book of, <clears throat> in the book of Hebrews, he talks about it, and, and so does the text that we have that was that's at the top of your page there. In, <coughs> excuse me, in the 12th, verse of the fourth chapter of Hebrews, it reads like this. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God. He knows it all, and so he takes the word of God. But show me that picture up here, uh, just uh, of, of, of a Roman soldier. You see what's in his left hand? That's a called a Roman short sword. It's yea long, and it was the tool that Rome conquered the Mediterranean world and developed for hundreds of years the, Ro Holy Ro the, the Roman Empire. It was accomplished primarily by that sword that, had, that was sharpened on both sides. And so he says, you know how strong Rome is? This is exactly what the Hebrew writer is saying. You know how strong Rome is? They conquered all of the Roman world. The legions of Rome, strongest in the history of mankind. The Bible is stronger and sharper than any two-edged sword. It not only can cut the flesh, the Bible cuts right down to the intents and the thoughts of the heart. And everything that you think, God is aware of. Nothing is hidden from Him. You can be a hypocrite and fool us, but you can't get away with it with God because the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and penetrates to the innermost being of a human being. Not only, <coughs> excuse me, the good part of that is this. And since He can penetrate clear down to the thoughts and the intents and our attitude, He has the capacity through the power of the Holy Spirit to change it. Thank God, huh? Because some of you guys have a lousy attitude, you know, more humor. But the point here that you shouldn't miss is that the Word of God has that kind of power. He can change people. We cannot change people. You and I can try, you know, we try to change our kids. All you do is make them mad. People don't change people. You can encourage them, you can whatever, but people don't change people. God changes people. I, oh, you can change some behavior through, through the power of, the, uh, of uh, whatever, but you can't change the intents of the heart. God has to do that. That's why it's important that you know what we're trying to do here as a church is ultimately develop a strategy where that 
the intents of the hearts of children. It's more than making them come to church, more than making them uh, go to church camp, making them go to this. They'll get to the place where their love for the Lord is so great that they want to, whether you want them to or not. That's where we're headed. It's going to take a while, and it won't be easy. But you have to recognize, along with us, that people don't change people. Parents don't change people. God changes people because he's the only one who can see the intents of the heart. If I told my parents everything I thought, they'd have killed me. You know, you, you just don't tell them everything because back in that day, they could beat you with a stick and not go to jail. My father did that once. It just took once. I'm not that slow a learner. You know, I, I learned fast. I said, we were getting the wagon in the barn, and we couldn't get it in. My brother, and he just said, hit her again, boy. Hit her again, boy. Get her in. Get the hay in out of the rain. And I finally looked at him and said, the dirty word, we can't do it. I looked at him, and I knew that I'd gone just a tad too far. I took off around the back of the wagon and headed for the out into the wide open spaces. Now, my dad didn't have me until, I was an, until he was older. And I was fairly fleet-footed. I was, you know. But some way or another, that old man not only caught me by the corner of the barn, going around the edge of the barn, he picked up a piece of tobacco stick on the way. And he picked me up like a cur dog, and he wore me out. And he said, now let's get the wagon in the barn. And we did. <laughs> you can't do that today. And, un, and in my breath, I called him everything I could think of. He didn't hear me. Now, that didn't, he, didn't, he didn't change the intent of the heart. He just changed my behavior. God has the capacity to change us from the inside out. And that's why it's important that we get our kids not just in church, but in love with Jesus. And that's going to take some changes. Because we've got in the situation we're in by doing what we've always done. And so we have to be willing to change. And, and we've got a lot of learning to do. We, we're going to fail at some things. We're going to try, but we, our goal is to get our kids in love with Jesus. And you and I have to set the example. All right, let's keep on going. The Word of God uh, um, is, is not only uh, powerful, uh, it's effective. And so, we, so here's what it, it is true, it is powerful, it's effective. Now let's go on to the Word of God, the Bible. In order for people to be saved and to get that changed life, the Bible has to be preached. The word for preaching is an interesting word. It, it, it really means to proclaim or to make known. The Bible, and, and, uh, and ever since it started, people have made fun of preaching. And the Bible even, you know, acknowledges it and calls it the foolishness. By the foolishness of preaching, people are saved. Now, God didn't think it was foolish because he's the one that told us to do it. But the world saw it as foolish. Preachers are made fun of. I could tell you some jokes that are really funny, but they're not clean enough to tell in public. But So the Bible here that we're talking about has to be made known because the, the, the Spirit of God takes the preaching of the Word of God to bring about converts. Now get that. The first thing that has to happen is the individual has to be converted to Christ. Now, that comes through repentance and a will to change. And, and, and we need to understand, the Bible speaks often, and we can, we'll read just a little bit of it, because we really don't have time to go into the, into the details, but here in 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, the Apostle Paul has selected Timothy to be the pastor of the church at Ephesus. Paul spent more time in Ephesus than he spent anywhere during his ministry. Some about three years there. And then he turns it over to Timothy. And here's what he tells him, because he probably is never going to see him again. He says, starting in the fourth chapter, starting here in verse 2, he says, Preach the word. 
Be prepared in season. And did you get that? Be prepared. I wouldn't waste my time going to hear a preacher that didn't prepare before he got there. And here, the one thing that I've done through the years, insist on preparation, and the young guys just despise me for it at times because I said, I don't want people coming here just to hear stories about something that's not related to the Word of God. I want you to be well prepared. And we finally got to the place where we sat down on a Thursday and went through the sermon with whoever was to preach that week, including myself, so that we could understand. And there's other something related to it, too, in that if somebody were to get sick, somebody else then is ready to preach if, if necessary. But that preparation is really important. So be prepared all the time, in season, out of season. And here's what it, the Word of God is to do. You're to correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. One of the people that you all, some of you have met, runs the, nurse, uh, the, the, the children's home where Patrick and, and Eddie came from. And I have watched him with the young men. He's the best encourager I ever saw. I mean, I, he, he, the kids start preaching early, those who want to preach. And he finds a way to compliment them when it was really kind of pitiful. But he was a magnificent encourager. Now, so the Bible has to be preached. And the first thing that happens is you make converts. When you, when you go over to, uh, to the, uh, uh, <coughs> excuse me, sinuses have started uh, acknowledging that weather change. The Word of God has not only to be preached to lead the converts, it has to be taught in order to make disciples. Making disciples today is, is the fad. Everybody talks about making disciples. And that's important because Jesus said to go Preach the word, and then you teach them to observe all things and you, and that I've taught you. That's how you, you reproduce after yourself. He's talking to his disciples. You want to reproduce after yourself, you make other disciples. And the word disciple means you're a learner, you're a student of a teacher. And that's important. But, but the thing that the modern discipleship movement has overlooked is that disciples were not made just to be disciples. Disciples were made in, in order to accomplish something else. Jesus would make disciples, and then he said, now I want you to go into all the world. You're not to be a disciple just to see how much you can learn. You're a disciple. You're to be educated and equipped so that you can go take the message wherever, wherever people are. You've got to take that message. And the disciples give, give the apostles credit. All of them except John, you know, were martyrs. The, the word... Uh, uh, that's closely associated uh, with with discipleship is is the word for uh, for martyreo, and when he said you're to be a witness, uh, and and all the disciples, as far as I know, but John were martyred. So the word of God not only has to be preached, it has to be taught in order for you to make disciples. And that's called the Great Commission there in the 28th chapter of the book of Matthew where he talked to his apostles before he ascended into heaven and left us and get, sent the Holy Spirit. Then next, the, 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 the word, the Bible, must be demonstrated or lived. We've already talked about that some, but I want to be a little bit more specific. Uh, because... The Apostle Paul, you know, he's telling Timothy this, and, and uh, let's see, let me find it here for an old guy, then him, him, and well, it'd be helpful if I was in the right book. He says here in, the, in uh, 1 Timothy, to Timothy, he said, command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for believers in speech, in love, in faith, and purity. We are, the leaders of the church, are to, are to set an example. Now, we'll fail at times, but if you want to see what a Christian is supposed to look like, the leaders of the church are supposed to be able to say, follow me. 
The Apostle Paul said that about himself. If you don't understand who Jesus is, you stick with me and I'll show you who he is. That, that principle has not changed. He said, Paul wrote here to the church, he said, those of you who are elders or, or overseers or whatever in the church, don't lord it over people, but set an example for them to follow. In spite of some of the accusations that have been cast in my way, I didn't do a lot of the things I was accused of. I, 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 I have never been a tyrant. Never. And guys like Ralph and others who have sat with us in staff meetings and so on know that's not true. I've never been a tyrant. Do I have an, an opinion about things? But I make sure everybody else has their opportunity to speak theirs too. I'll defend their right to. Because being an example of what an overseer should be is, is as important as anything we have to do. It's as important as what we teach. Maybe more important. I don't know. But I, the, uh, Andrew was fussing at me, and he said, Papaw, you know, when he really likes me, he calls me Papaw. Uh, he says, you know, you really should have defended yourself. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. People will either believe what I've said and done for the last 50 years here, or they won't. Because the one thing that I've tried to do is to be consistent and to be faithful and to teach people to love each other and to try to love people that I didn't even like. And you don't know whether I like you or not. Because I try to treat everybody alike. And so, that's really important. I, 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 want, to, I want to close with this. I believe in my heart that the Bible is not just the Word of God, but I think it is the powerful Word of God. And if it can change people from the inside out, it can even change a community. I really believe that. It changed the world through the Reformation. Why can't it, why can't it here? Well, i tell you what's going to happen. This coming week, I've been invited to sit down with the county prosecutor's office and to discuss with them the possibility of what Christian people can do to assist law enforcement in dealing with the, and eliminating the drug problem that we have here. I mean, we made the front page of the Wall Street Journal, for heaven's sakes. We've been the, we've been the conversation on, on national television of being uh, the dope center of whatever. I think I'm going to take up for law enforcement. I don't think they can do any better than they're doing. They have limited numbers and limited resources, and the problem is greater than, than they can handle. Oh, I'm not going to go down there and say we want to be rent-a-cops. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about we, we're going to discuss the possibility of what we can do to assist them. And what I'd really like to do, and Matthew and oh, we've talked about it internally here, is what I'd really like to do if we can get this thing moving is uh, next January, I think it's the 9th, whether you know it or not because no one even talks about it, is once a year there is one day set apart as the time when you recognize law enforcement. And I think it's the 9th of January next year. I'd like to have a dinner for all of our law enforcement people here at church just like we did for the veterans. And let those poor guys know that we not only love them and pray for them, we're willing to help them, and, and we'll talk about the things that we can do later with them later on. Because I really do believe that if we as Christian people take the lead in that and the power of the gospel is exposed to Scioto County and Greenup County and Pike County. And, and I believe that we can change this community and make it turn into the place where people really want to come here and start businesses and do some good things. Amen. 
I think it can be done through the demonstration, not just the teaching, because we've had preaching to run out our ears. I'm talking about when you and I get to the place where we show people Jesus and not just talk about him. By the attitudes that we display and the life that we live. It was interesting. I keep talking to my landlord. He's really a good guy. He charges too much for me to live there and, and a lot of other things. And, 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 but he told me the other day, and I'll tell you exactly what he said. He said, I'm going to start coming up there to church. He said, I'm going to put my butt in one of your seats. That's the way he said it. If you want people like me. And I said, well, we would rather have people a little higher up the economic ladder and so on because we kid a lot. But I really think that you will soon see him sitting here. And when he comes in that door, uh, you know, not just him, but anybody that's new that comes in that door, we want to make sure that we love them and accept them just the way they are. And, and, uh, and I think that's the way we begin, but we can't keep it in the church building. We've got to take our faith out into the streets, out into the workplace, and folks, even into the school system, even though we catch heat for it. And a teacher might get fired for it. But I think we have to do it. I think we have to do it. And I think if and when we do it, the Lord will bless our efforts and we'll see not just a bigger church. That's not the objective. The objective is for the world to know who Jesus is and letting, letting him be gracious enough to use us to accomplish that purpose. And that will be done through the exposure of the Bible to our world. Now, where are my singers? I'm supposed to have some singers in here. Where's my long-lost daughter-in-law? Is she back there working somewhere, or is she in here? Tell her she's fired. She's out of the will. Because what I want you all to do, oh, come on, get in here. You're being overpaid. Now, what I want, what I want to do, we did last night, and is to tell you this. You cannot leave here this morning until you've helped us sing. And uh, I don't know what I'll do to stop you, but last night I had help. Because one of the guys who is a, a security guy is big enough to hunt bear with a switch. And he, and, uh, and, and he was going to help me. I don't want anybody leaving here until you sing a song. And, and Megan, I mean, she, she just pointed somebody out. I would never do that. But, so you have to stand. That is not true. You have to stand. Have to stand. And we're going to sing a song. Now, they're going to show you what the words are, and then we'll go through it a time or two. So let me get out of the way, and you all do it. Thank God, he's finally out of the way. <laughs> the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand upon the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Okay. Bible. Good and loud. Okay, <laughs> keep going. All right, now you have to help them. The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand upon the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. One more time. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand upon the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Bible! All right. God bless you. You're free to go. Christ Community Church located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.